Hey everybody, we are recording. Welcome to tonight's V Brown Bag. It is Wednesday, June 20th, 2018. Um, I think we're going to have a fun show tonight. We're starting uh, 11 minutes late because we've been chatting and laughing and, and bantering for the last half hour uh, before the show. So this is going to be a good one. Um, we're going to talk about Office 365. Do you need data protection for your cloud? Presented by Exchange Goddess and 24 by 7 IT Connect, Teresa. Um, do you want to give us a little preview of what we're going to talk about tonight? Sure. Anybody? This is, um, this is Exchange Goddess, or also known as Pumla Schmidt. I'm not sure which one you, you want to call me. Uh, so we're, we're basically going to talk Office 365. It's It's been around. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I'm pretty sure it, it's a, you know, it's going to stick around for some time, and most people are, are using it. And the most common question that gets asked is, do I need to back up that data? So we're, we're going to discuss if you need data protection, um, and if you need it, how, how do you back it up? And if you don't want to back it up, are there ways to ensure that your data is protected? And I think just to add to that, so this is 24 by 7 IT Connect, Teresa Miller. Um, to add to that, I think you might be surprised by some of our thoughts on this. So we're looking forward to having the conversation with you. I think uh, this is Anthony. I, I think I've got an idea of what the answer is, but um, I would be interested to see if you prove me wrong at the end, and I'll tell you if, uh, if I was right or wrong, and I'll be honest about it. So we'll, we'll see where this is going to go. All right. Surprise if you're um, right. <laughs> a V What's brown that? bag sticker. Yeah. Yes, I get a sticker. <laughs> Always wanted one. I'm going to hold um, you to so that. I'll okay, all right. I will introduce myself. I'm Anthony Hook uh, at Anthony R. Hook on Twitter. And with me, I have Louis Ayuso uh, at L Ayuso on Twitter. Awesome. So we're going to be co-hosting for tonight. Uh, we'll be watching the, the Q&A uh, panel on your GoToWebinar for our live audience. And we'll be watching Twitter, um, hashtag TheBrownBag. Uh, if you're watching this live, you already know how to get to us, but you may not know that we do have shows around the world at different times and in different languages. So on the right side of your screen, you can see our Around the World shows and the times that they're at. If you're interested, check us out on vbrownbag.com. Uh, you should be able to find the sign-up forms, tell your friends, um, tell your friends overseas, um, because it's the internet and we can do cool things like that. So um, share us and all that good stuff. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at vbrownbag and our Latin America and Europe teams. Um, and hashtag oh, one other thing. For questions. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Hashtag V Brownbag, we'll be watching that for questions tonight. Um, we were talking a little bit before the show about uh, VMworld. VMworld's coming up in August. Um, we do have a call, and I should have put the link in here, but I thought about it too late. Um, we are looking for presenters at VMworld. So if you're interested in presenting, we have two different size time slots. One is a 12 minutes, and one is a... 20-something minutes. I probably should have uh, looked that up beforehand. But we have two different size time slots, and you can sign up to do a tech talk at VMworld. Um, those are also broadcast live. 
We are in the schedule builder, so if you're interested, um, you can check us out and sign up. If you can't make it, you can watch them live. Um, it's cool stuff. So if you if you want to present, you are more than welcome to. Uh, it doesn't hurt. Um, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't physically physically pain anybody uh, to present, and it's free. <laughs> we don't charge you. So, <laughs> um, yeah, you can sign up if you want, and uh, we will be there. And we're in the schedule builder again this year. As far as I know, uh, I could be wrong, which has happened before, to be wrong on the Internet. That's, that's all I've got for housekeeping before we start. So, are you ladies ready to get a kickoff? Yeah, if you can make me presenter, we'll get things change going. Pre change presenter. Let me make sure I click the right person and we don't Teresa. have uh, one of our attendees suddenly <laughs> presenting. Yeah, you don't want that to happen. <laughs> no, I don't think so. So like your, it's like a webcam, you know, you put the duct tape there so nobody sees. <laughs> right, right. I heard some horror stories from from uh, from some online instructors about, oh, we used to do webcams with the class, and then and then we decided that was a terrible idea. Yes. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. All right. Especially WebEx. For some reason, I always wants to kick that camera on. Every time, and I'm like, oh, I don't it, have a polo on today. I've just got like my, you know, death metal T-shirt or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna shut up now. You guys, take it away. Okay. So as we stated earlier, so we're gonna talk about Office 365, and if you need data protection for your cloud. So I'm Pamela Schmidt, also known as Exchange Goddess, and I think most people just call me Exchange Goddess because it's just a lot easier than pronouncing Pamela. Uh, I am an infrastructure lead for Independence Blue Cross. I currently am in charge of our messaging infrastructure, our Skype for Business, our Polycom, our uh, mobile device uh, infrastructure, also faxing. We do lots and lots of faxing. Yes, it's 2018, and we do almost uh, a couple hundred thousand faxes a day. It, it is a very profitable business for the healthcare industry. Uh, my background is in virtualization and also storage and obviously exchange. I've been doing this for 14 years now, and I actually was in the fashion industry before I crossed over into IT. So I, I have a very interesting uh, take on how... Um, businesses work with technology. And I'm also the co-host of Current Status with uh, Teresa Miller, who's also here with us. And I'm a, a central PA VMuglia. No, that's not Palo Alto. That's central Pennsylvania. It's right in the middle. Smack dab. Yeah, smack dab in the middle of the state. <laughs> Everyone says PA. I'm like, nope, that's not Palo Alto. It's central PA, small area, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And we have a, a nice community there. Teresa, do you want to introduce yourself? I will. So, Teresa Miller, I go by 24 by 7 IT Connect on Twitter. And a few things I, I like to call out are I am a Microsoft MVP, VMware VExpert, and a Citrix CTP. And there's only about 10 of us in the world that um, can make that claim. So, been kind of fun working with the communities and and sharing knowledge. Um, 
Pumala mentioned as well that, you know, we have a, a podcast, Current Status, um, a website where, where uh, her, myself, and several others write. That's the 24 by 7 IT Connection. And when I'm not busy with the community, uh, my day job has me as a senior systems engineer working with Citrix and Office 365 and Exchange and Skype and Azure and all kinds of great things. So I don't sleep. What, but we're in IT. Who really sleeps in IT? <laughs> all right, so I'm just like everybody else. Yep. <laughs> All right, so something to think about here as we get started, and I think it's kind of a bold statement, but for many organizations, this is, is very true. Email is the lifeline of, of just about every company in the world. You may get one here or there that will challenge that and say they can be down without email, but as soon as it goes down, even those that claimed that, all of a sudden there's a panic and there's a loss of productivity, and in many cases, potential dollars lost. So it really is a compelling statement. I have worked with people that, you know, insisted email wasn't important, but second down, nobody agrees with that person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked on large enterprises and they have all, you know, some have classified email as a, a, a second tier application. And like you said, as soon as it goes down, they're standing by my cube going, when is email going to be up? Uh, it, it, it is the lifeline of every company. Uh, think about it. It's, it's a communication tool. So if your email is down, you can't communicate with, with within your business, but also your external business partners. Uh, so it's important to have your, your email systems up, but it's also important to have the email data that you know, the emails that you're you know sending back and forth, but that data, if you lose that data, that's potential loss as well. Uh, it, especially with Office 365, which, like I said earlier, it's it's not going anywhere. <laughs> There's some people that think, oh yeah, it's the cloud. It, it's it's here to stay. I mean, the majority of businesses are really gravitating towards it. If they haven't already, you know, jumped over to the cloud, I mean, there's still organizations that haven't made that shift yet. Uh, for whatever reason, you know, compliance, regulate, regulatory concerns. Uh, but honestly, I, I think, you know, in the future, most organizations will be in Office 365 in some way, shape, or form. It's just a matter of time uh, rather than if. So, uh, you know, one of the things we have to think about is when we go to the cloud is it's our data. What do we do with that data? Do we just give it to the service provider and let them do whatever they want with it and trust that they're going to protect our data and make sure it's available for us? Or do we have to um, protect it and make sure that one, they're doing their job, but two, we're safeguarding our information? Yeah, I think this will be really interesting for us to discuss. Um, you know, one more thing I just want to call out before we um, dive into that is, I know some people watching or some that'll catch this later, might also be kind of challenging the fact that email is the lifeline of every company. When we have a new generation um, coming into the workforce heavily using tools like, um, you know, Skype and Slack and, you know, 
WebEx, teams. whatever the case might be, yeah, we're moving into Teams, all these different types of collaboration tools. And to me, the reality is you're going to have several generations in the workforce for a long time. And I think some of those tools may cross boundaries with other organizations outside of your internal organization. But I feel like in the short term, those are primarily internal tools. And I know you could probably challenge that even, but you know, at the end of the day, we're going to have a, a tool set and email still does live and breathe as, as that lifeline for the most part. But think about the, you know, those one-liner emails like either people send or the reply alls. You send it to a group and everybody replies to it and they, maybe one person replies one line or two lines and it's just, it's chatter. It, you know, it it becomes almost like an IM when really you should be IMing or, or should, I, should I use Slack for that conversation or, or do I use Teams for that or, or do I use Skype? Um, and a lot of times people just you know, revert back to, to email and then you send the files instead of sending a link from, you know, your SharePoint site. It's still, it, it's, it's, it's email. It's, it's one of those things. It's sort of like faxes. You know, people joke about, oh my gosh, you know, it's 2018. You guys still, fa yeah. It, I mean, healthcare, doctors, offices, they are huge in the fax. And I don't really see that going away. Uh, you know, I just had a, and so the other day I called the doctor's office. Can you email me the, that paperwork? Oh no, we don't do that. It's not secure. We have to fax it to you. Yeah. I'm like, okay, F fair enough. So I see email being sort of like that where it's, it's going to be around. Yes, we have those other tools. But I think those other tools are just going to, it's just going to enhance the collaboration space and email is just going to be another component of it. Exactly. Well, good. So now let's go ahead and move into, you know, why we're here, right? What about these backups? So let's go ahead and get started. So, yeah, so when we talk about protecting your data, these are pretty much the three common scenarios for why people want to protect your data. You, you, you've got failures in, in, in DR, and then you've got your accidental errors, which I, I like to call layer eight sometimes. Um, and then you've got your, yeah, you like that layer eight. <laughs> uh, because we all have those layer eight issues that come up, especially when it comes I to think, accidental deletions. <laughs> I think I just heard everybody's audio is muted, but I'm pretty sure I just heard layer, when you said layer eight, I heard a collective groan from everybody else. <laughs> On, uh, <laughs> on the presentation. <laughs> I love layer eight issues. They're the best. <laughs> and then the point in time recovery, long-term long-term data storage. And, and, you know, I put this in red because usually this has to do with legal, you know, some type of legal requirement. You know, there's a lawsuit. But for the most part, it's these three reasons why you protect your data. Uh, and it, it's regardless if it's on-premises, or in the cloud, you're, you're still thinking about these three particular reasons why you want to protect your data. Now, when we shift into the cloud, you think, okay, I'm in the cloud. Do I need to worry about disaster recovery and failures? Mm, but doesn't possibly? Microsoft back everything up? I think that's a common misconception. No. Right. So but Microsoft does not back up. Right, right. Very big misconception. They, they have high availability. They have redundancy built into 
Office 365, there are four copies of your, your mailboxes. You know, it's spread across within the different data centers, but there is no backup. And they will tell you, they do not backup, but they there's other components and features built into Office 365, especially Exchange Online, that enables you to basically not have backups because once you have the high availability and you enable a certain subset of features, why would you need to do that? Uh, and then the accidental errors, that's kind of, um, I don't think we can ever really get, you know. Actually, get can we step back? Can, yeah, those accidental <laughs> errors aren't going to go away. But can we step back for a second? So on the failures and disaster recovery, um, so we, we, or you shared how there's multiple copies of the database, right? But but just because there's three or four copies of the database, I just want to call out that if a mailbox becomes deleted, like it's gone through the retention, like so, so let's say you, Pumala, um, you are deleted out of my exchange online because, I don't know, we're not going to do work together anymore. Right? I've, been ba I've been bad. You were bad. You're out. Yes. So um, you've gone through the process of um, retention, and, and now we're at the point where that's a really officially gone. Um, micro, just because there's four copies of the database doesn't mean that your mailbox can be recovered. Um, those copies of the database are, are really point in time. They're not lagged their point in time, and so they're only as good as the current data um, that's available within Exchange Online. So that's where... That's a very good point. Yeah, so, you know, as we work through this, we'll talk about some of the, the methods that even, even though that's the case, there are still ways for a certain period of time to get some of that end user data back. Um, but I did want to call that out because it, it doesn't mean data is backed up just because there's four copies so well, that's kind yeah of like an age old thing right because it's it's the idea between replication versus backup exactly data corrupted yeah. becomes replicated corrupted data backed up is your your backup mm -hmm. yep so i guess that was what, that was maybe this is something that you're going to talk about too but i was going to ask about um you know corrupted data replicated is still corrupted um, I have worked with exchange uh, databases that have gone belly up on their own as far as, you know, um, consistency and that sort of thing. So if there are no backups and, you know, is it is it using something different on the back end to make sure that things are, are safe and not getting corrupted? And maybe that's something you'll talk about, but um, yeah, so that would just be a concern of mine. Database resiliency has improved greatly um, since the beginning days of Exchange. Um, yeah, there was a time when you couldn't shut down an Exchange server without stopping the services because it might corrupt the data in the in the database. So there is that piece. Um, but there, Office you know, I, yeah. Go ahead. Office three, yeah. Office three sixty five is I would say is very reliable in terms of um, data data corruption. Uh, they, they have built in, um, I guess, checks and balances in terms of making sure that that data is, uh, so if there is a, let's say if there is a, a mailbox 
that's sitting on the database, you know, there's a table there that's bad, it will correct itself. Um, they, they've, they've got measures in place that will, that will fix that. I haven't heard of any real, I guess, serious issues where mailboxes are actually getting seriously corrupted from Office 365. Maybe I have not either. people aren't really, yeah, maybe people aren't screaming about it. Um, but if it's happening, I would think Microsoft would be on their, you know, on top of, on top of it and fixing it because this is their, this is their bread and butter other than Azure. I mean, Office 365 is, especially Exchange, it is, it's like, hey, that's their, um, that's their money maker. So they've got to make sure that it is running and it's not corrupting people's mailboxes. Now, you know, on premises, I've I've been known to um, just reboot a server without shutting down services. <laughs> I've done that before. You're not supposed to, but uh, you um, can now. It, yeah, uh, newer versions. I mean, yeah, they those databases they're they're resilient. They come back, and mm -hmm. and as long as you have a, an EDB file, you can always resurrect an exchange server as well. Mm -hmm. There's there's ways to do that. <laughs> I've got some tricks up my sleeve. But but back to your point about so when a user gets removed from Office 365, you know, like I've been bad and you deleted my account, you know, you remove my mailbox and let's say I decide three weeks later, I'm gonna sue you, Teresa, because you said I was mean and I wasn't really mean and we're gonna get a law yeah, you know, we're gonna get a court. And all that stuff, you know, we have all these emails and it's in my mailbox. And I, you know, I, I have a court order to get that email and you go and say, too bad, <laughs> I don't have it because it's past that retention period where you're keeping that mailbox and it's gone. You purged it. Boom. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to talk about. Lots of tears. <laughs> so I think, um, I think that falls into um, some of the other slides that we have to talk yes. about, right? There's definitely yep. something um, that can be done if you catch it at the right point. Um, so, yeah, let's let's get into that as we uh, move into some of the other topics and and slides. So let's um, let's talk about accidental errors. Um, you know, I have an uncle that that calls human error with my my aunt Lucy moments. You call these layer eights. Um, I'm thinking, you remember I love Lucy? <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. How, how, how are you, do are you, you, are you aging yourself? Are you aging your... <laughs> no, aging your no I, definitely, I definitely watched this on reruns because my parents yeah. made me watch it. <laughs> I'm not uh, as old as that show, but I get a kick out of that because yeah. Lucille Ball was hilarious. But yes. anyways, um, so our accidental errors, they happen all the time. Um, and so, you know, see, see what that's a, a deleted contact, that's a deleted email. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. Or I have a rule that deletes emails and somehow I was messing around with my rules and I didn't realize it. And it's deleting every single email that's coming inbound for me. And oh my gosh, I put a ticket in because I'm not getting any emails anymore. And then you realize that they've been deleted <laughs> a couple of days later. That realize sounds it. <laughs> wonderful. How did you, I got to figure that one out. 
at least once a week we get a ticket that someone has has messed around with their rules somehow and has configured it to delete all incoming emails to them and then you know three days later they realize that they're they haven't gotten any they're like oh my god i don't have any emails coming from external world and you know you do a search and like oh yeah i've got all you know message tracking says that you received this and it says it was moved to your deleted items and it was purged and then you know um as the exchange administrator i go in and you know i'll show them oh you can recover this this way because i've enabled a um a certain feature with an exchange which is also available in exchange online that enables a user to recover uh, a deleted item that has been removed from their trash bin which i also like to call their secondary filing bin because why would you uh it's a deleted items folder but you know some people like to have uh you know folders and it's their it's their other filing bin it's it's really yeah. not a trash bin but yeah and it's good it's there <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, it's a crazy, saving grace. Know. Saving grace. No, I, um, I I deleted something or I put it in my deleted items folder. Well, where is it? Where did it go? It's not there anymore because you've enabled uh, a retention policy that empties everybody's deleted items after you know thirty days or ten days or whatever your retention period is, and the user freaks out and it's like, oh my god, I don't see all these emails, and and they realize, you know, you tell them that, oh yeah, we empty your deleted items, but that's I use that for for filing so there it, a lot of the accidental errors layer eight issues uh, it's end user training and education is big but we're never going to get away from it it's it's always going to be here no matter how hard we try because I have layer eight issues myself sometimes so and then, right the big yeah. oops yep. right yes <laughs> the, the, those are those are our layer our layer eight issues. <laughs> so like, I'm gonna. Oops. Oops. Yep. All right. So briefly, I'm gonna just pop back to the point in time recovery. Um, I think this is an interesting topic when you, when it comes to Exchange Online, um, because there are kind of rules around recovery, and sometimes you can recover things and sometimes you can't um, and it's really going to depend on the scenario at hand um, you know if it went off to that that deleted item recovery you might be able to capture it but it the I don't think the experience is going to be quite the same um, without a backup solution yeah point in time recovery is a tricky one let's say you have a lawsuit and the judge wants all emails for June 10th of 2015 at that point in time. Well, if you've enabled all the native protection with an exchange, you're still not going to get what that state of the mailboxes were on June 10th, 2015 and 2017. It is not, it's not a point in time type of solution and Microsoft will tell you that even for their on-premises you know exchange environment um, they you know they recommend you use native exchange protection but they'll tell you it does not do point-in-time recovery so when you have a situation where you where you need that point in time that's where you have to consider uh, third-party backup solutions 
and then long-term data storage. So if you need that point in time recovery, uh, do you need to store that? And, and how long do you need to store that for? Because long-term data re storage can also be sort of taken care of with the native protection based off retention policies. You can pretty much keep uh, Office 365 data, I don't wanna say forever, but for a very long time. They, I believe they have changed, they've extended how long your retention periods can be for. Um, so, yeah, you can do a, exact dates. you can do a, um, you can do a hold forever. Absolutely. Um, that is an option. It's not recommended, but, um, but some organizations may, do that. Right. They, there may be some scenarios where you would. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like healthcare so, industries. Definitely. Definitely. Healthcare. I think, um, I even think sometimes it's use case based. So you might yes. just automatically, for example, for every C level in the organization, just automatically put them on some form of, of retention hold just because of the the importance of of their role and the types of conversations that they may get into uh, via email. It's best to just keep everything right. And, and so it may be or not. Um, or what? Or not keep. Correct. There, Maybe you're deliberately not going to keep theirs. And it, yeah, it just depends on your corporate policy and and what your legal two, yeah. wants. Yeah. There's, there's two, two different <laughs> Yeah. There's two schools of thought with this. The more data the more data that you have, the more um risk you are in. Basically you've got more risk now. Right. So it, it's kind of like, hmm, do I keep everything? and make sure that if I do get into some type of lawsuit, I have the data, or do I set a policy that states, hey, I only keep 30 days of email and that's it. We don't have PST files. We don't, you know, we don't store anything. It's just 30 days, flat out right, everything's purged. So if mm -hmm. you do get a lawsuit and you tell them that's my policy, they're not going to come back at you and, and say, well, you know, you guys are in trouble now, but because you're following what your policy states for the company. Mm -hmm. So there, there's, um, there's considerations there with that. So we're going to backups. So I guess we can, we yeah, can get so into the really, uh, the backups. I think so. Yeah. I think it's kind of time. Like, so I guess, you know, in terms of backups, uh, what, what's your, what's your simple school of thought on this? I have one as well. I'd like to share, but do, okay, do you so the, remember or not? <laughs> The, the official word from Microsoft is no, you do not need to back up any Office 365 data. And oh. if you do back what's up. Your, what's your school of thought? My, my school of thought is it really depends on your situation, your business requirement needs. I, you know, I hate to say, but it, it really does. Um, if you're an organization that needs that point in time recovery and, you know, you have all these lawsuits, you may want to look at a third-party solution because some of the features that are built into Office 365, uh, whether it be Exchange, SharePoint, you know, Teams, uh, that you know, their their whole um, conglomerate of, of services, it may not be enough to meet your business requirements from a recovery standpoint. So if if you have strict requirements, it's definitely something you need to consider. 
um, if you're satisfied with the native protection and making sure that your administrators are maintaining the right retention policies, then go for it. Use native protection, save yourself some money uh, because you know third-party solutions are going to cost you something. It's not free. And there's a caveat. So there is no backup API for Office 365. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure I can grab somebody from, from Microsoft and they will say, we have no backup API. It uses EWS. EWS is not, is not an API. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a whole soapbox right there. So yeah. a lot of, a lot of the, the third-party solutions use EWS to connect into Exchange to basically get a copy of your email, and then it creates that backup set with it. But it's not a true backup set in a sense where if you have an on-premises exchange environment and you know you're running Convol or veeam or or whatever you know backup solution um and it, you know you've got the the exchange agent and it's connecting in and it talks to the dag and it creates your your backup copy it, it that's that's not how the office 365 version works so we kind of have to level set everybody there that the official wording is microsoft says no you don't need to i'm saying it depends on what you what you need to do and what's right for you because every business is different. It, you know, we're we're all not the same cookie mold. That makes sense. What's your yeah. thought, Teresa? Yeah. So we agree on something. <laughs> yeah, we're the yin and yang. So if you guys didn't know, it's yeah, we're definitely the yin and yang. So we do share a similar perspective on this. I have. I, I, my perspective is you have to take a look at the business. If you work in an organization that when a user calls and if they're missing one email from six months ago, that you're going to be expected to find it and recover it no matter what it takes, you need a third-party backup product. However, if you have an organization that can take a look at the Microsoft SLAs for um, deleted item retention for how long a mailbox exists after it's deleted um, that might understand that if a contact goes missing or a, a, a list in a personal mailbox goes, goes just completely missing and can't be recovered, if that can be tolerated, then you probably don't need backups and you can conform with the Microsoft approach. I have seen both sides of the coin. And so my recommendation to anybody who's you know listening in and, and chiming in today is to know your business requirements. Then you can make this decision. Yes. And once you know those requirements, you need to fine tune the Exchange Online uh, retention policy settings. Get to know them by heart. It's don't accept the defaults. And I think that's what happened uh, several years ago when Office 365 and Exchange Online was getting really popular and people were jumping into it. It was like, oh, we're you know we're in the cloud, and it was sort of overlooked. Like I don't want to say overlooked, but taken for granted. The retention policies you know the assumptions that oh 
the, these settings are the same here, so they should be the same over there. They're, they're not. Um, and then just the lack of understanding of how to configure those settings was, uh, was a big one a few years ago. And, and there was a lot of screaming, oh my gosh, Office 365, you lost my data because, you know, I didn't know that I needed to configure these retention policies correctly. Mm -hmm. So, if, you know, yeah, I, I, I remember like three years ago, that was such a big deal. I mean, people were screaming about, you know, yeah. Microsoft losing their email, but it wasn't Microsoft's fault. It, it was defined in their SLAs. Yeah. Yes. At the end of the day, it is your responsibility as the administrator, as the owner of the data, to know how to manage your data, what settings you need. Because off, Microsoft, they gave you the tools. So they gave you Office 365. They're a service provider. They've enabled all these settings for you. Here you go. Have at it. You as the administrator, you're required to know and understand all these different settings. So if there is, let's say, two-factor, and there's uh, retention policy settings and legal hold settings, and you're not using them correctly, you can't go back and blame the service provider for losing your email. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's it's up to it's your responsibility. It's your data, so you need to learn how to. Um, I hate to say it like that, but you need to learn. But you do. You need to understand how these settings work and how they're going to affect your business requirements and and your your business SLAs. Gosh, that was a soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not well, sorry either. <laughs> yeah, no. It, well, it's it's completely. It's completely true. And, you know, to kind of simplify it a little bit, I actually wish I had a slide, so, but I didn't put it in. Um, I want you to really think about the word and how you spell assume. If you assume, you know what happens, right? You make an, an ass out of yourself. So any cloud provider, any cloud option, whether it's Office 365 or not, do not go into those conversations assuming you have backups. Ask lots of questions and understand the SLAs offered so that you can take it back to the business and see how it aligns. Well, even with um, Gmail, you know, this, this can be applied to any cloud provider, uh, regardless if it's even email or um, SharePoint, you know, anything, you know, Salesforce, you need to understand what the service provider, you know, is offering to you in terms of backups, DR, you know, their SLAs, blindly going into it without understanding all that. And then how that impacts your current processes, your current SLAs, your current requirements in terms of DR, um, you know, certain industries, you may have uh, a, you know, a list of requirements that need to be um, met in terms of uh, SLAs. And if you're using a cloud provider and those SLAs don't meet up with what you're required to do, that may not be an option for you. You may need to adjust that contract or maybe you can't go to the cloud. I mean, I know the industry I'm in, healthcare, especially if you're dealing with Medicare and a lot of government um agencies, there are time limits in terms of uh, when you need to respond and, you know, how much uh, in the type of data you have, you know, you know there's like a turnaround, so certain cases, there's 24-hour turnaround, 48, 72. 
so let's you know we get emails in and it's lost they need that department needs to respond within 24 to 48 hours and if they don't we potentially get fined so it's very time constrained when it comes to uh you know certain um certain industries so when you are using cloud provider you really have to to look at those SLAs. look at the fine print i mean at the end of the day, it's looking at the fine print and how does that meet your business needs? So once we, oh, go ahead. Sorry, uh, one of the questions was asking about wouldn't it be more advantageous to just have exchange on-prem or a hybrid? And I guess in that situation, it really depends on the business. It, um, and actually, exactly. that could be, yeah, it really depends. And, and, a lot, and a lot of times people stay with hybrid. Um, and that's something I actually recommend. If you, if you feel, and if you think that, especially if you have legacy applications, it's almost best to stay hybrid instead of going full on board with Office 365. Uh, it's just, it's sort of that kind of your back, back door, your back pocket, where in the event something happens there, you can move people back. There are some really, really big organizations uh, that have uh, a hybrid configuration where they keep 90% of their users in the cloud and they have 10% on-premises. Just and because that 10%, of different use cases. Yes. And, you know, and, and that 10% is usually people that they need to have a little bit more control over in terms of SLAs uh, and legal requirements. And there's actually several large, very important industries, uh, companies I know that, that do that very well-known ones. Uh, so it's it's something that I personally recommend. You know, keep keep, keep a small environment, you know, one or two servers, be, especially if you have uh, lots of applications that send email. Because you, so, you want to have something filtering through rather than just sending it as a to the open relay, open the cloud. So just to add to that, for, for any decent-sized organization, uh, we'll say, and, and even some small organizations, and small I mean like maybe a few hundred and up, but mid-size and up for sure, you know, hybrid oh, is yeah. the way to go for your migration. The fillback options are critical, but even if you do hybrid and choose to move all of your mailboxes to the cloud, there may be scenarios where, for example, you might leave your relays on-prem, and there's you know, advantages to doing that just because they integrate with, you know, internal on-prem servers. And so, you know, in that case, you, you're going to leave hybrid around for a long time, but also know that there are some limitations um, with hybrid. Once you've done hybrid and you've migrated to the cloud, even like group management and um, Group management's a big one where you try to do management in the cloud, but it still goes to on-prem. And Microsoft is working on a way to be able to decommission those hybrid servers for companies that don't want to keep them. But do note that if you do hybrid, you are going to have to keep a couple, even if you choose not to, uh, or even if you choose to move all your mailboxes to the cloud. I like to mention that because I think some people don't yes. realize that. Not to go down but a different the, rabbit hole today. No, but. It's, yeah, it's good. To, and when you are hybrid, your hybrid server, your when you are running in the hybrid mode, your servers that are on premises. Pretty much have to be current, so you can't be like they three do. or four versions. Yeah, you you basically when there's a, a CU update, 
you've got to put it on with within like a release or two. You've, yeah. you've got to stay current. Uh, otherwise, um, you could you run into them. issues because yeah, because Microsoft is constantly updating their servers. So you you basically have to be parallel to them. Now, smaller shops, this is where I'm kind of like, mm, yeah, Office 365, you know, especially if you're like a, a one-man shop, less than five people, and that, you know, your five people are doing everything, you know, PC to managing servers and, and you know, even doing projectors, then totally go Office 365. Save yourself the headache of patching servers. And I love exchange. So, yeah. Uh, and I'm advocating. Yeah. yeah. SM, SMB for sure. Do, just move, yeah, move to the cloud. Um, so we have a few more slides, and I think we're getting close to yeah, that's the hour mark. So let's, um, let's talk about maybe in just a little more detail here some of the backup solutions we call them backup solutions that are built into the office 365 product i think we've alluded to some of these options already but i think you know diving in a little deeper might provide some value um, because you're not left without anything when it comes to Exchange Online. You just need to know how to set the features within it. And, and that can make, um, make it okay not to have backups. You just kind of have to rethink things. So um, do you want to kick this off? Yeah, so we, we've got, basically there's two options. You use the native online protection which is using the, the three features, single item recovery, legal hold, and deleted items retentions. Wow, I said that really fast. <laughs> so the, those, those, those three components is pretty much your, I say this in quotes, your backup of your mail. It is basically retaining your, your emails, the version control. In the next slide, um, I'm gonna talk a little bit more into how um, native protection works a little bit more in depth than this, but it's essentially allowing single item recover, which allows a user to delete something. And back in the day, yeah, back in the day, um, the delete items uh, recovery area used to be called the dumpster, but now it's the delete items or delete items folder. They keep changing the names on me, but it's I call it, it's like your secondary recycle bin. So it's the stuff that disappears from your delete items folder, your trash bin, is uh, the dumpster. So enabling single item recovery allows a user to restore those emails again, the ones that have disappeared from their trash bin, you know, from their, from their other filing folder. And they can do this by going into OA or if they've enabled it in their Outlook client, it's just basically right clicking on the trash bin, recover deleted items. So that, that, that single item recovery. Uh, and then by, by doing this, you've allowed the user to fix the layer eight issues. So let's say they delete an email or they create those rules that delete all their incoming mail and they realize that a few days later, they can go back and recover those items. And you can, you can configure that by default, it's 14 days and you can figure that up to, I wanna say it's either 30 or 60 days. I know yeah. they, it used to be 30 and I know they've expanded, they changed it. So I think it's 60 now. Um, I'd have to double check on the exact number because they were getting a lot of slack 
for having any 30 days because on-premises can be expanded to gosh I think it was like 24,000 days or something like that anyways this allows the user to go back and recover that and this is where you don't need that uh, protection from accident deletion like if you have an on-premises server and you don't have single item recovery enabled and a user deletes all their emails you'd have to restore that backup uh, and we all know how long it takes to restore backup I mean it, depending on your backup solution it could be uh, 20 minutes and then work could be six hours so having single item recovery helps and the user just goes into OA right clicks and then this little pop-up comes up and they see all their emails that they deleted within like the 7 to 14 days highlight them click OK you know I want to recover OK again boom everything just comes back it's like a miracle um, and then then there's also deleted items uh, retention that goes with that so delete item retentions maintains how long those items are stored in the secondary recycle bin uh, and the only way so once it gets into the secondary the secondary recycle bin which is the dumpster the old dumpster you can as an administrator search it through the search mailbox commandlet users can go through OA so we can sometimes go back and, and you know do a, a need discovery search if we wanted to we also have the ability to search even deeper than what the user can uh, can see so Teresa you want to go to the next slide this is the the more in-depth one. So single item recovery, delete items, and then you add legal hold. So when you add legal hold to this, this basically is no backup, like you don't need backups at all. This is Microsoft's way of saying, okay, I've enabled, enabled single item recovery, my delete items retention is within my policy that I wanna set it for, and then a person is on legal hold. So when you have a person on legal hold, it basically is, uh, it, nothing gets purged or deleted even though the user may think that they are deleting stuff it's not and it goes into so if they delete something and they're on legal hold it's going to go into this uh the recoverable deleted items area but it's actually split into two partitions so there's an area where the user sees that they can recover with an oa and then there's this uh, other area the second partition where it's uh, the legal hold area so let's say a person deletes an email it's gonna go in here or let's say they open email they modify that email it's the original goes into the second partition but also the modifications so this is where all, you know, all the versions of that email is still retained in the second partition of the single or of their, your deleted uh, recovery area it's sort of complicated but it's their nifty way of saying you don't ever need backups because whatever the user does, as long as they're on legal hold, with every single copy, every single change of it, and as an administrator, you can go in and search and restore those copies. Yeah. So does that make sense? It, yeah. Yeah. It does. That's. It's. You know. It's. I think it's. It took a lot. me a while. So there's like, a couple things yeah. I want want to talk yeah, about. Yeah. I guess to um, that I think are important here when it comes to. Um, legal holds so um, one thing is to um, 
take a look. There's a couple different kinds. Um, as Pumala mentioned, there's the opportunity to delete, have a user delete items. They don't even have to know that they're on any kind of hold. And those items can be seen by the administrator or, or in the Office 365 console, you can go in and um, allow your legal team to have permissions to um, just one small area of the console totally restricted to uh, discovery where they can set up cases um, where they can view that data if that's how you'd prefer to do it. Um, so the nice thing is that the user doesn't necessarily have to see that or, or deal with with that if they've they've deleted something. Um, the other thing I want to mention and, and I'm certain you can just go out and search it. If you want to see any of this in action, I did a IT Dev Connections talk last fall. Um, I spoke at the event and it was a security smackdown and you probably just could could look for that in Teresa Miller and out there I even do some demos on exactly um, how this stuff works and I think well while some of these diagrams are very complex, you'll see if you go back and look at that, that actually doing these things is relatively um, simple. Um, and then one final point, you know, we talk about uh, the litigation holds and, and these holds as backups, but they are intended for specific use cases. Microsoft isn't wanting us to go into our tenants and turn on holds for everything to kind of get around having backups. Um, it, I think that will end up probably ruining things for us and making prices on subscriptions go up. So definitely be thoughtful when you make decisions around how you use these holds, but know that they can be your saving grace in situations where you have to retain data for a lawsuit like we were talking about earlier, or if someone's just behaving badly and, and you know, legal comes to you and says, we need to track this. So while it sounds like a lot to consider, it's actually really relatively um, simple and straightforward to set up. I, I think if you are considering uh, putting everybody on legal hold as a way of restoring everyone's emails and all the versions. And that's not the way to go. If you're considering that, no. you're better off looking at the third party solutions. Uh, Veeam is a great product and that's a plug in for Veeam. Hey guys. Um, and gal, um, you know, Commvault has, has something. I think even rubric might have something. And uh, I want to say spanning. Uh, has uh, an Office 365 uh, backup tool. I believe they also back up SharePoint as well. Uh, so th those are, you know, those are things to consider. Yes, it's going to cost you money rather than turning legal hold on everybody, but that's not what the intent was as Teresa said. You know, legal hold, it, it was intended for legal holds. So if you need to go and turn legal hold on for everybody in your organization, it's not the way to go. Um, and, and Microsoft will probably come back and tell you that as well. You're, you're better off at looking at a solution if you need to keep all your emails. Uh, and there are some organizations that have infinite uh, retention policies. And if you're if you're one of them, um, you know this is this is my plug for all you software vendors out there and hardware vendors because I believe NetApp has a cloud product as well. Uh, you know here's here's your chance, guys <laughs> and ladies. Uh, you know, 
that, you know, this is this is your opportunity. Um, yeah, if you if you need that, certainly look at those products. I mean, that they're, they're they're all great. You know, they they have their pros and cons, and they were developed for a reason. You know, organizations asked for them, they wanted them, they need them. So you know, it's it's not a bad thing for you to look at it. Yes, Microsoft will tell you, you know, you don't need to back up, but if you feel that your business needs to look look at those solutions that you're you're probably better off with that than turning on legal hold i'll get off my soapbox on that one definitely so we are at time i i'm going to turn this over uh to the the rest of the gang do we have time for any questions or are we uh, so we certainly um, have questions if anybody has are we any. at the end? We're, we're towards the end. Um, is there any other any other questions that maybe we didn't? Uh, there was actually, I'm going to go way back to the beginning. Um, there was one question on faxing that seemed to pique some people's interest. Um, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, my God. Faxing faxing. And everybody goes, what? Like, oh, bust out your zip disks and your jazz disks because we're talking about faxing. Um, no, the, <laughs> totally not on topic at all. But uh, the question was, how is fax more secure, um, especially in healthcare? Like, isn't it an unencrypted protocol with with physical copies? Like, isn't that isn't that bad? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, it, I, I, I can say it's not as secure as email. But uh, there are there, there are people. Yeah, there there are people in in the industry, and you know, and doctors and certain security, you know, personnel will tell you faxing is more secure. Um, I I feel my personal opinion is not secure, especially if a nurse or a front office person tells you to fax something, and that fax machine is right out in the front, and there's like you know, 20 nurses and and doctors and all sorts of office personnel walking and you fax something and it's sitting there for like eight hours before anybody looks at it or you have multiple people looking at it. Yeah, that's really secure. Uh, but <laughs> healthcare, doctor's offices, they love faxes. I, I'm not sure how we can really get over that. And also uh, financial institutions still fax heavily. Uh, they FTP heavily too. PGP keys. Well, that kind of yeah, reminds I, you of the whole situation with the, whole, the hard drive in the copy machine. And how secure is yes. that? Once you guys get rid of it and move it on and some move it on somewhere else, and somebody's like, "Oh, I'll just take the hard drive out and look. Oh, look, this was at a doctor's office. Oh, oh, this was at a government facility. Oh, this is definitely yeah. classified." Yeah, I mean, e email is definitely more. I would say more secure and there's ways to really secure email better than faxing uh it's you know it is what it is but it, it, it's it, we're creatures of habits you know humans oh it's, it's just this old mentality of my fax machines are secure than email and it's it's been there for a while it's kind of hard to change that technology too so i mean it's you know it's hard to hard fax to turn that corner with with something all healthcare is is like that, and I I mean the only 
reason I can maybe kind of think it might be secure is because most people have abandoned it and they don't think about it anymore. <laughs> that, hey, I'm still trying to figure out how the fax a zip file and a, right. and a, and a video, okay? I actually had a request for that, okay? Yeah. I, uh, I had, I had a, a, IT, uh, a business what? IT person asked me if they could fax a zip file and um, a movie file. And I, I, I had to step, I, I had to step back. I had to step away um, from my surface. I had to step away and go outside. And I was just like, really? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And they had to ask me twice. They, they, they didn't, they didn't like my first oh, no. answer. So they sent me another email the next day, you know, with more clarification on which files they wanted. And I, I had to repeat myself again and said yeah I, i'm this isn't gonna work i'm sorry it's just, you can't so if there wasn't that. a video file you could extract the zip print out the documents and then fax them to somebody but the video the movie is just it's flooring yes yes I, I've, I've had nope. a, i've it's had a customer try to try to they, they brought down an exchange server because they tried to email a movie Oh um, yes, we love those. We like, always have one of the, the matrix. Yes. Like the matrix got MKV or something like that. You know, the Matroska file of of uh, the matrix um, that they were trying to email to somebody. I'm like, dude, you can't. Like, please, please don't do this. You, you can't do that. Did you see? Did you see my tweet about? Um, I tweeted this maybe about a month ago. How um, you know, there are file restrictions within email systems for a reason. Uh, you know, most organizations keep it at what 50, 50 megs now. I think it's been increased to fifty, That's maybe seventy. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, fifty to hundred megs. Anything over that, send a freaking link. <laughs> Dropbox, mm. OneDrive, you know, um, SharePoint, and anything. It, you know, and it, I always find it is a two hundred meg Excel spreadsheet that you're sending to fifty people in your department, and everybody needs to make a change on it, and they all need to send it back to you. Yeah, that's really smart. Or, you know, somebody that needs to uh, send, you know, a video to somebody. They made a home video because they were doing an inspection and they're like, okay, you know, I recorded the video off my phone and I need to email it to uh, an auditor. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I understand that it's it's a way of communication. Trust me, completely get it. But there, there's a size restriction for a reason, um, you know, performance. And then, then you get the people that say, whoa, well, you know, if it's about performance, then, you know, maybe you go Office 365. Well, Office 365 is going to tell you the same thing. There's going to be, you know, there's a, there's a hard limit on how big your files can be. Um, it's not about the storage. I mean, it ultimately, it comes down to performance of processing that file. And if you're sending it to four, five, 50 people, Everybody gets a copy of that. So, really, does everybody need to get that? Pro you know, that processing for everybody. Easier well, even then, you can up your, you can up your local limits to however big you want, but that doesn't mean the server on the other end is going to be able to receive can a receive file that it. big too. Bingo! Yeah. Bingo! That happens. That happens a lot, and people don't realize it. And they, you know, they get this rejection email, and they come after me, going, "There's something wrong with our email, and it's your fault. You need to fix it." And I tell them, "I'm sorry. This is rejected by the receiving end. 
they're saying they will not accept this. You're going to have to talk to your, your contact and they will have to contact their IT department. I can't fix this. I can only fix what's internal. And um, you guys make me so happy that I'd never had to do email administration because <laughs> I would literally it's, send people, uh, let me Google that for you on how to use OneDrive. Yeah. Well, you well, know what? Sir, I think it comes down to that eventually. Mm -hmm. But we're creatures of habit. Yeah. And, I mean, we, we are creatures of habit. We use SharePoint heavily where I work, and they still don't send SharePoint links. I mean, do you really need to attach two, two Excel spreadsheets in the meeting invite? Really? And you're sending it to like a group of like 20 people? Think about that. And it's a reoccurring meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you're updating it constantly. I mean, it's it's things like that. I'm like, really? Can't we just send a link? But it, it happens, and we're creatures of habit. And yeah. We, we just we just instinctively do. I do it sometimes, probably more often than I should. <laughs> but yeah. Well, yeah, people got so used to email being the storage system for such a long time. That's one issue, right? Um, yeah, and and it's always it's always Exchange's fault. I've noticed, like even if it's an Outlook problem, it it's always Exchange's fault. <laughs> According to the user, that's that was a, a sarcastic comment, just to be clear. Oh, it's it's, it's, it's always it's always email problem. My account got locked out. Yeah, call the Exchange team. Yeah, um, I open up Outlook and it's slow. Yeah. Call the exchange team, and then you go. Oh, I'm sorry, you're getting updates in your system. That's not. I I can't help that. Yeah. yeah. I can't open an Excel file. Call the exchange team. <laughs> oh, you email as a file. Emails as a file storage actually, you know, brings me back to when Exchange was it 2013 first came out. They didn't support public folders at all. Um, and yes, and then yes. you know they said get get away from public folders and use SharePoint and then. Okay, oh, yeah. now we're going to let you upgrade public folders and bring those across, but you can't make any new ones. And then in the other update, finally, it was like, okay, we'll bring public folders back. Yep. Um, yes. You know, I, I yes, see that with a lot of different organizations. You're, you're, the email and public folders becomes their filing system, and, and it's really, really hard to turn that ship around sometimes when, when it's so, so weighted down. It's a culture. It's a culture change. It's it's the way people work, um, and it doesn't happen overnight. Um, I'm proud to say I have no public folders. I, I don't either. They're gone. Yeah, I terabytes of it, and I have a fabulous engineer that worked on it for a year, and we got rid of public folders. That was one of the things that um, I told him. I said, I'm going to make you responsible for getting rid of public folders, and he did. And it was awesome. Yeah, yep, we don't have and, any either. Yeah, and, and but there's still organizations that use it heavily, and um, and they've got legacy data, and uh, you know, I feel bad for them. I really do, because <laughs> it's like hell. I worked with stuff. a customer this summer, a small company, 60 users. They had 400 gig of public folders. Oh. My Lord, I got them down to about 150 gig. What they were doing is for all of their projects, every person who was involved in the project dumped every email from their inbox for that project into a public folder. 
Like this is how they were doing archiving for their projects. And oh my gosh, so we had lots of conversations and they left as much as they could behind and more conversations about how to do things differently or better yeah. in exchange online. I'm sure that's not the only organization I've run into uh, quite a few that way. The the small ones sometimes are are sometimes the worst offenders. But with projects, yeah, I, I ran into a customer last summer that was exactly the same thing with with their their filing uh, habits. I guess we'll call it because that's yeah. that's what it is. I guess. Yeah, yep. we're creatures of habit. We, we we are. I mean, I'm I'm human, you know, and I. I you know, sometimes I, I, you know, do things. And I'm like, oh man, you know, I, I need to practice what I preach. Uh, <laughs> and I'm very, I'm very good about that, though. I, yeah, I have a little note, little sticky note tells tells me every morning, practice what you preach, practice what you preach. <laughs> yes, I don't, ex I don't give myself a bigger mailbox. I stay within the limits. I, I'm, I have retention policies. I follow all, you know, follow all the 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 retention policies that we have, uh, even though I have access to, you know, expand, I have access to change my email address so it's shorter because I have a really, really, really long name, um, and I can shorten it. But I don't. I I, I follow the standards, you know, our, our policies. I have to practice what I preach to my users. Uh, if I'm doing something different and they find out, they will come after me and hit with a pitchfork. <laughs> yeah, it's so, and I also want to experience what they're experiencing. I want to feel their pains. That way, I understand what they're going through and I can make the system better. Because there are times that, you know, I'll run into something that 100 users are experiencing, or let's say half my organization, which is, you know, like 7,000 people. Um, and if they're all experiencing it, I can go, okay, this is not cool. I need to fix this. So if I if I practice what I preach, you know, I feel I'm a better better engineer. Um, I'm a better IT person for for my users. So that that's all I've got to say. Yeah, makes sense. This was that's fun. How I admin too. Um, it was. Yeah, we've gone way off topic at this point. It looks like we might have have some people hanging out with us yet. <laughs> Thanks. For, do, yeah, well, this is the current status. You know, this is the current status yeah. for being for being here for the the off topic uh, conversation. Yeah, you know, no email so we'll, emotional. Go ahead. Email's an emotional topic, uh, and I always tell people it's not black and white like managing mm -hmm. a virtualization. Email, mm -hmm. it's it's so emotional because we we've we've got we got our lives committed to it. You know, it, it's a personal thing, so it's it's a different type of uh, conversation rather than, oh, I need to upgrade, you know, all my ESXi hosts. Oh, big whoop, you know. <laughs> I got, I got, yeah, let's plan the upgrade. <laughs> let's make sure hardware is compatible. But with with emails, it's more sensitive, and mm -hmm. I think people are more uh, they listen a little bit differently when it comes to it because it's it's going to affect them personally rather than. Um, from a business standpoint. Mm -hmm. That's a really good way to put it. And I don't think I've ever actually thought of it that way. I don't think um, so. Either. I've thought about it. I thought about it from the other way, you know, the like, this is our mailbox size and, and, you know, we need to have it this size and that's the way it is and deal with it. But 
but yeah, I guess, you know, coming at it from the other direction, it is a, you know, personal habits and, and um, filing systems and the way that people think about emails, right? I, I have customers, like we mentioned before, the deleted items, that's their, that's their archive, right? Is their, yep. their deleted mm-hmm. items folder. Yep. And uh, when you change their workflow, that's, that's impactful personally to them. So that's a, it's a good reminder. Yeah. Yep. How, how do you affect the least, which affects the least technical person the most? Yes. I think, sure. you know, I always, I tell my engineers, put yourself in the user's shoes. We may think it's something minor. It's a silly pop-up, but to them, it could be the end of the world. And we have, we have to put ourselves in their shoes. We become better um, IT professionals to our users. If we, if we sit in their with their perspective, you know, what they're mm-hmm. seeing. It, and even from a server admin perspective. So if we're patching servers and doing upgrades, uh, you know, in the times that we patch, are we going to affect our users? We could be. And we kind of have to be, you know, we have to be conscious of that. Because if if you're patching a print server and that admin can't print, she's down for the day or, you know, a couple hours. It It could, you know... Depending on what she does, it, it it's her productivity that's lost. So we can we can you know relate that to almost any IT um, type position is put ourselves in in the business and our users, our customers that we support, put ourselves in their shoes and how would they be impacted, and then you know and see if we can work around that and make it the least impactful for them. It really is the only way. Um, and it's interesting because for the longest time, IT was more the IT way or the highway. Things have really changed. And if you don't put the users first, I think you will not be successful in IT anymore. You the really users are have to have that. Yep, they absolutely are. And what they need um, comes first. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not boundaries and, and limitations um, and SLAs and things to follow but you have to take things from their perspective. Yes. That's all I've got think to say. About, so. Think about Tron, we fight for the users. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so with that, I think we've got everything covered. I think we've got all our questions answered. Um, uh, it was a really good discussion. And I know that everybody is at the edge of their seat wondering if I was right or wrong about do we need backups? I thought the answer was for sure going to be yes. Um, and uh, I was wrong, and it's it's no and maybe kind of uh, is kind of the way it goes. So I I yeah. don't I don't win it anything depends. because I was it, wrong. It's, it's the typical answer. It depends. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, it yeah it really does depend. And I really I apologize does. for that. Bing and as my seventeen year old son asking me if he can go out tonight. Mm. Yes, it is almost ten o'clock p.m. So I'm sure you can probably predict my answer, guys. <laughs> what I'm going to say on that one. That did not depend. Yeah, that no, that is no. That is, a, that is a not depend. Be home at ten fifteen. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to have a friend overnight tomorrow night. I'm like, I really don't think I can do this night sleepover thing because they don't go to sleep, and I'm like, no, same thing. Okay, guys, I think we are. Yeah, right. This was fun. We'll have to come back and talk yeah. uh, another fun topic. 
Yes, you are welcome to come back to the Brown Bag anytime and discuss, even if you want to go technical deep dive or whatever you want to do. Um, we we always welcome people back. Maybe so we'll do a password. Oh, oh, please, no. <laughs> that also goes for anybody listening. If you have a topic and you want to talk about it, anything technical you want to bring, or a user story or something that you're working on, obviously, sign up to uh, bring it to Free Brown Bag. And uh, thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Have a good night, everyone.